now today we're starting chapter two of our teaching on the book of Revelation, or as we called it, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And why do we say it that way? Because the important thing, the main idea that we get from scripture is Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, when I was um, the age of some of these young people, I used to have to read a paragraph and they would ask me, what is the main idea? And then I would have to say, the main idea of this paragraph is this. And so when we read the revelation of Jesus Christ, the main idea is to understand who Jesus is and how he is unveiling himself to us in the day in which we live. So what we did last week, and I'm just going to just um, give you some review points and not going to post the list again because you're going to go back and subscribe to the podcast or to the YouTube channel and you can get it all um, in detail there. But we talked about the fact that Jesus um, appeared and he stood in the middle of seven lampstands and the seven lampstands represented the seven churches of Asia that was there at that time and that he had in his hand um, seven stars which represented the pastors of those churches and so that's where we ended and then he told the apostle John to write um, write this letter and send it out to the seven churches now, so, okay, so let's get to the new content today. The first is the structure of the letters that he gave to the seven churches. Let's look at that. Um, the, the structure of the letters had seven components. Every letter was written roughly the same way. And so we wanna make sure that we know what we're looking for in the structure. First of all, it was a greeting to the leader, to the angel of the church of X, whatever that city was. And then he would give a specific revelation. This is Jesus Christ, but he wasn't just saying this letter is from Jesus. He would talk about some specific aspect of his character. Now, why is that important? Because we said the book is an unveiling of who Jesus Christ. And the significance is that Jesus appeared to each church in whatever that church needed to see of him and about him. I think that's interesting for me personally because as a pastor, um, when I am gathering ministers together and, and teaching and training the ministers here in this church for the assignment we have, I wanna make sure that we preach and teach the same Jesus. All right? Paul talked about the ministers that travel with him. He said that they had the same spirit, they preached the same Jesus, and they preached the same gospel, and they walked in the same steps. So if you see a minister from Destiny Generation Church, all of those ministers should have a certain style of teaching. That doesn't mean, um, doesn't mean that uh, we're clones, but there should be certain things we hold common together. All right? And so these things here that we say, and you see the the graphics in, in our church where we have things on the wall. I want all the ministers to know this stuff. If you go out, it should sound, there should be some commonality to how we sound. And so he presented himself to each church with the thing that that specific church needed. So that was the first thing. Then he acknowledged what that church had done right. Right now, some that list was long, some that list was short. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then, number four, he called out what they had done wrong. Um, then he gave them prescription to resolve the issues that he had found wrong and sometimes consequences if they didn't take action. And some of those consequences were pretty tough, we're going to see. Um, I think that's really important to understand because this is the Jesus, um, we, you know, we are in the week that's called Holy Week. And so we'll deal with, we'll deal with this time of year, we'll deal with Jesus as he's preparing to go to the cross and to suffer. Um, but the Jesus that these people saw had already been through that suffering. In Christmas season, you'll hear people talk about sweet baby Jesus. But Jesus is no longer a baby, right? Um, the Jesus that these people saw is the Jesus that we will see. So that's why that's important. And it's important to note that because there are some people today that say, um, well, Jesus is love, so why are you judging me? You know, and there's still some things we're going to see in these these chapters. There's things that Jesus says he hates. And if he hates it, you don't get to like it. OK. Number six, he gave them a prescription. Excuse me, rewards for overcoming. Now, this is important because we are as as people, we are motivated to move away from pain and towards pleasure. And the way that, that he, he, he led the church is he always showed them um, the pain of staying the same and the pleasure associated with changing. Because there was a lot of pain that was associated with them in breaking from the stuff that was going on around them. And so he had to tell them, no, 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 you got more to gain by staying with me and more to lose if you disobey. All right. And then um, it's interesting to note that um, the word there when it talks about he that overcomes is the word Nikaio, where we get the word Nike, like the shoe. It was actually Nike in Greek mythology was the goddess of victory. So what is he saying? Over An overcomer just does it. Yeah, yeah. An overcomer just do it. Okay. And then finally, finally, um, he would give them, um, number seven, an admonition to hear what the Spirit says to the church. We all need to maintain spiritual sensitivity. You must spiritually choose to hear with your inner spiritual ear what, what the Spirit of God says to the church. Because you can turn off and say, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't really want to deal with that. And there's a lot of people that come to church for whatever reason and still don't want to hear or act on what the Lord is telling them. Okay, so today we're going to go through two of the, um, two of the seven churches. First one we're going to go through is the Church of Ephesus. Second one we're going to go through is the church of Smyrna. All right. So let's deal with Ephesus. We're going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And this is the same church at Ephesus 
that the book of Ephesians was written to. All right. And um, and we'll see that it has certain key things about it that made it very pivotal. And there was a reason why um, Jesus through John addressed this church first. And it says angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now let's look at what he says he knows about them. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Now, if I had a church that he said all of this about me, I would have declared victory and say, let's just go home. Let's call me home, Jesus. I'm done. But look at verse four. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love, first love, right? What, what is first was important to him. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What? I thought you was, they was doing good, but from Jesus' perspective, they have already fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, remember everything we said that the lampstand represents. The lampstand represents church. If Jesus removes the lampstand from his place, we can still be meeting, but it's no longer church. In the Old Testament, they would have said, I'm going to write Ichabod, the glory has departed. Okay, so this is a very serious issue. If the one that's walking in the midst of the seven lampstand says, I'm taking your lampstand from you if you don't fix this issue, right? Unless you repent, unless you repent. That's right. Now let's look at verse uh, six, but this you have. Now this is a credit. This is a credit to them. He said, now one thing you really did good and I'm proud of you for this, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Well, that is a strong word, isn't it? That's very strong. Okay. So if this is something that Jesus hate and he commended them from hating it, we need to find out what it is and we should be hating it too. Is that a, is that a reasonable assessment there? All right. Now, there are some people that say Jesus is love and he hates nothing and nobody. But this one didn't say that. There's some things he hates. They didn't say he hate the people, but he certainly hated their deeds. All right. So there's something there's some actions that are associated with these people that Jesus does not care for. All right. Now, look at verse seven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. All right. So see all the elements of the structure. 
that we said before, that's the structure. Every letter has that structure. Now let's look at eight keys to the church of Ephesus. Number one, Jesus reveals himself as habitually walking and visiting churches and holding the leaders in his right hand. There are other passages of scripture that have the predominant picture of Jesus as Jesus as the one seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. But this passage of scripture leads us to see that Jesus occasionally gets off of his throne and takes a walking tour through churches. Now, Jesus, well, Jesus is in all of us. Yeah, he's in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. But this is talking about the glorified Jesus getting off a throne that's in heaven, coming down to where people are having church and stopping by. Now, the, the picture is that he habitually does this. If you st spend some time studying this, the Greek language and the word that's using. It would be the same thing as, you know, um, Brother Frank, when we was these young men's age, um, there were times we would cut through people's yards and we would cut through their yards so much that we had walked a path where, where grass wouldn't grow. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's the word. He's not, he didn't just say, he says, I've been walking around and checking out churches to the point where I put some, I, if you can look in the spirit realm, you would see my, where my footpath would be and there would be no grass there. Jesus visits the churches. Now, just because you can't see him doesn't mean he can't see you. Okay, that's an important thing. Now, that's a different picture. That means he's not somewhere far off removed from what's happening in churches. Now, I know that there are believers who say, I'm a Christian. I don't have to be a part of a church. Well, see, then there's a part of Jesus ministry you're just not going to get. If you think, you know, you can be super believer in your home by yourself. OK. And we're going to we're going to deal with church hurt tonight. So if that's your reasons for staying home. I got an answer. OK. Number two, Ephesus was a hard working church. The word there here, there are several words here that's used to describe what happens in church. It says, first of all, I know your works. That work is the word ergon. Um, if you, when you're in, a, in an assembly plant, if you do repetitive motion and you have injury, the people that come see you are the ergonomics specialists. That means they were doing things and they were working hard and they were very repetitive. Ephesus was a hard working church. Not only did he said that I know your works, he said, I know your labor. That word there for labor describes the kind of stuff that, um, you know, when we have those undocumented citizens 
who come in and then they clear out the fields in the heat, the stuff that Americans don't want to do, stuff that they enslaved us to do a couple generations ago. That's the kind of hard work that these people were doing spiritually. And he was commending them on their hard work. So Ephesus was a hardworking church. Then it said that they persevered. The word there for persevered, or that's the word that was patience. It literally means it's like you're carrying a big boulder and you could just let it go and drop it. But you say, I'm not going to move from the place. I'm going to keep I'm going to hold up my part of the kingdom to make sure that the church doesn't fall down. All right. So all of these were words that he used. Then he said that they had persevered and again, they had patience. So he was very that they had persevered, stayed to the point, past the point of fatigue, but they didn't get weary and give up. They was tired, but they wouldn't stop. Now, if you ask me, that's the kind of church I've been working for. And so I read this and I get very concerned because I want everybody to work hard. I mean, our whole vision is built on us raising up a light and a scripture that talks about doing works. Interestingly, the scripture that we take as our theme scripture is somewhere around here. It's on that wall. Um, it is it is the scripture from Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. So it was Paul writing to this church when he talked to them about the good works. This was a church that Paul had founded. And so he had told these church about good works and. Some decades later, God through Jesus, through John, tells them that they had done the works that their founder had taught them to do. Does that make sense? They're a hardworking church. Um, and their motive was right. The scripture says that they labored for the name of Jesus. They weren't doing it to make themselves great. They believe the thing that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So they were working. They were doing the right work and they were doing it for the right reason. All right. Now, look at number three, Ephesus was a church of doctrinal purity. It was a church of doctrinal purity. Let's talk about that for a second. Ephesus was. Because the city itself was the central city of that region, it was like the biggest metropolis. If, if Ephesus was a city today, we could say it was like New York City. It was a big city. It was a port city. It drove a lot of the things. And there was a lot of stuff that went out from that city. Got it? And... Um, because it was a large, it was really the first mega church of that time frame. So because of that, other churches, they sent out missionaries to start other churches. All right. So Apollos was sent out from Ephesus to start the Corinthian church where we get first and second Corinthians or to work with Paul on that. Remember, Paul planted Apollos water. He was sent from the Ephesus church to go there. All right. Um, so what happens is because it's a mega church, because it's the big city, 
anybody that wanted to have influence in those churches figured if I can make it at Ephesus, then I could go to these other churches. So the pastor at Ephesus was always getting these calls. Doc, doc, I got a word for your church, doc. I got a word. I got a word for your church because it's the biggest church. If you could come to Ephesus, you could get a big offering. Right. If they backed you, you could go out and go to other churches. And the fact that they put their stamp behind you meant that everybody else would give them credit because every all the other churches looked to the Ephesus church to give them their guidance. Ephesus was the church where Paul started a silly. Uh, 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 Priscilla and Aquila worked with Paul to lay that church. Timothy was a pastor of that church after a while, right? Because if you read First Timothy, he said, I've left, Paul said, I'm leaving you at Ephesus to keep that church in order, right? So after Paul was beheaded by Nero and Timothy was martyred as well, the Apostle John went there, and that's where he lived until he, he was in prison at Patmos. He was there, according to church historians, with um, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Remember, she told John to keep her. We're going to talk about that on Friday, aren't we? So um, this was a very famous church. Anybody who was everybody was there. But they had a way to say, okay, you say you are a preacher, but we know how to check you out. OK, and so Jesus commended them because they knew how to test whether or not a minister really had the goods or not. And so um, if you went up to Ephesus, it was like the voice. <laughs> Ever watch the voice and then like everybody come there thinking they're ready to be a star. And then they would turn around and say, no, we don't want you. <laughs> And they would send you packing. They would test out to see if you really knew what God was. And so they had doctrinal purity. Number four is the key thing. Ephesus, the problem was that Ephesus had allowed their works for Jesus to substitute their love for Jesus. Their labor for Jesus substituted for their love for Jesus. Now, that's what concerns me. Uh, as a pastor, I have to be careful because I want to get it all right. Listen, I spent a lot of time making sure I say the right words. I put the right thing down. I want, the, I want the, the right things on the pages. I want to say it just right. I think about that quite, quite at a detailed level. I even choose very selectively of my friends who gets to preach in this pulpit. Now, it's, it's, my, it's the people that I'm responsible for, so I take it personally. And some people are friends and they probably will never <laughs> preach for me. And, and, and I may not preach for them either, and I'm okay with it. I'm just saying I'm responsible here. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, but I have to be careful because you can work hard and still miss Jesus. And if the penalty for missing him is that he pulls the candlestick, the lampstand out of his place, then we all want me to be careful about that, don't we? Okay. 
So let's spend some time here understanding the issue that he faced. All right. Um, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, if I look at my life right now and where I have been, can I look back to my history and find a time where I was more excited about the things of God than I am now? Sometimes we get mature in the things of God when all we have done is just mellowed out when we should be still in love with him. It's the thing that happens in marriages where when y'all was newlyweds, y'all couldn't even keep your hands off each other. And everybody just knew. I mean, I, I, I can think of time I, you know, I've, I've met people um, who at one time you let people tell you the story about their early marriage days and you look at them now and you're like, is this the same couple you talking to me about? And they were saying, man, they was all up in love and all of this. And then you look at them now and they be like, you old somebody something. And you know what I'm saying? And you like, these people was really, really in love. But hold it. What if that's the, the description of your spiritual life? It's funny to me. Um, actually, it's not funny. It's actually sobering. And I thought about it again because, see, you, you, you look at this message, you got to start examining yourself and checking everything. And um, people, where, when, I, when I was uh, the praise and worship leader at the church that I attended when I was at University of Michigan in Belleville, Michigan, um, they, would, they, they still talk about the way I was zealous about worship. And they say, man, David, you were such a worshiper. You would, you would play, but then you would get off playing and you get your dance on, you get back on. They were just, they were like, man, you were just into it. And then I realized that I'm more formal now, but that fire didn't have this, doesn't have the same intensity that it had at that time in my life. That's what he's describing when he's saying you're still going and doing the right motions for the right reasons, for the right name. But you've you've allowed your labor to substitute for your love. All right. That's a, that's a big issue. Right. Um, I don't know about you, but like. This, 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 is, this was like the first thing that got me nervous. I'm already like, okay, God, I got to go back and really look and examine myself now. Um, so if you can think of a time in your spiritual life that you were more passionate about the things of God than you are now, the scripture says you need to remember and then rewind or repent. Remember where you were when it was like you were so excited to come to church and you were excited to study your Bible. and You were excited to tell people about Jesus and you were excited to tell people how your life had changed and 
how 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 important it was to you. Remember where you were. Repent. Turn your mind back because somewhere like remember what I told you on Sunday, sometimes Jesus cleans us up so well that we don't look like what we've been through. He's very good at cleaning us up. He is real good at that thing. I mean, who the son says free is free indeed. He can clean you up and you don't even look like the stuff you've been through. And then you can clean up so well that you 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 almost lose the sense of what you was doing before he saved you. So you 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 don't have that same what did Jesus say? Those that have been forgiven much love much. Those that have been forgiven little love little. Now the issue isn't what he's forgiven us of, it's how you perceive it. Because all of us is much compared to what, you know, all of us deserve hell. So all of us have been forgiven for much. But over time, as you get further and further away from that old life, it can look like your stuff was really small because he cleaned you up so well. When it really wasn't, he just cleaned you up so well. So I want us to make sure that we remember the things and where we started. Work for God is no substitute for loving worship of God. Work is not a substitute for worship. All right? So just like in a marriage, when I, when I find a couple that is going through the motions, and I try to get them to remember, what was that initial spark? What, what was the thing that caught your attention? Why, you know, before you just start going through the motion and paying bills and, you know, um, and all that other stuff, you know, what, what was the thing that really sparked your attention? And that's what he's, just what Jesus is saying. Don't forget the spark. You know? I, I often, 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 more often than I care to admit, my darling bride says, okay, now you, you're a good dude. I mean, I don't ever have to wonder, is you coming home? It's not even a thought. But you could be a little bit more affectionate every now and again. Because sometimes I just get into the flow. All right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't lose your zeal and affection for me. Don't, don't just go through doing church stuff for my name and then don't have that desire for me. All right? Now, that's a hard issue. He's not talking to a person. He's talking to an entire church. He's talking to a group of people who were, who, who were still working hard in ministry, but from God's perspective, they have already fallen. And they fell out of love. Isn't that a fair statement? You have fallen. Remember, you're, you've lost your first love. So they fell out of love. But a fall out of love for him was so serious that he considered it an offense so egregious that he would snatch the lampstand from his place, which meant that they could still be meeting and he would not even, he, he, if it's not a lampstand, he's not coming by no more. 
okay? So there is a thing that we have to overcome in terms of cold love when we have matured in the things of God. And that's the big issue. Okay, let's go on to number five. They were told to remember, repent, and then rewind or do their first works over again. Let's look at Acts 19, 17 through 20. What I want you to understand is that the church at Ephesus was born out of passionate revival. The church at Ephesus was born out of passionate revival. The apostle Paul had gone there. Go back and read um, Acts chapters 18, 19, and 20. And you'll, you'll see some of the history of when the church was the church at Ephesus was born. And what you'll find, Paul spent a lot of time there, spent a lot of time in there, um, the synagogue that was there, trying to convince people. And then um, his teaching got stronger and stronger, and then he began to gain more influence and followers, and people began to listen to him. And because it was a major city, the word began to go out across all of Asia Minor from, from that place. And this was the city and this was the place where um, God called, called special creative miracles to happen at Ephesus. What's a special creative miracle? Like somebody wouldn't have an arm and then their arm would grow out with a whole hand. It literally meant like that kind of miracle. Like you can't deny it. And the Bible says it happened one right after the other. Paul started doing all of these kinds of miracles. It was at Ephesus that um, Paul, the, he had handkerchiefs that, that he took from himself to people who couldn't get to his meetings. And then the handkerchiefs were put on people and then they would get healed. And then the devils that was on them would leave them. It was at Ephesus where the seven sons of Sceva said, in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches about, I'm casting you out of the man. And he, they said, the devil said to these seven men, Jesus, I know. And then they said, Paul, I know too. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't just know Jesus. They knew who Paul was. They knew that Paul understood who his authority was. And then they said, who are you? And then that one man beat up those seven men. And then after that, it just went crazy. That ministry started growing and people kept coming and coming. Now let's look at Acts 19, verse 17 through 20. This was after the seven sons of Sceva incident. And it says this, that incident became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who believe, who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So their first works was like they made a clean break. He convinced them, God convinced them, and they were so convinced about who Jesus was that in the midst of a city that was given to idol worship, they burnt it all. 
they burnt so much of it that it started to affect the local economy. Like so many people started coming to Jesus. There was a whole business, an industry of making idols. You know, sin sells. So they had a whole business and that business economy went so bad that they all they tried to start a riot and get Paul arrested because people stopped worshiping the goddess Diana that had the big temple in Ephesus. So when it talks about what was their first works, their first works was getting, listen, when they made a, they made a complete clean break, said, we going with Jesus and we are not looking back. And they burned their bridges behind them. And after a while, they were still working for Jesus. They were still doctrinally pure, but they didn't have that same fire on the inside. And so he's counseling them just like you would counsel a marriage couple, but he's talking about your marriage to the lamb. So we want to be those people who God entrusts and says, not only are we working for him, but we love him and our love and our work don't get in front of our love for Jesus. Okay. Don't ever get to the point where you, you got your doctrine right, but your love is, is cold. Okay, that's the challenge we have. Um, God called them to church-wide repentance. I got a note here that says, it is, it is the intention that you never lose your honeymoon with Jesus. Don't ever leave it. You don't have to. You can get up in the morning, pray, call on God every day, Take time to love on him. Take time to worship him. Never get too busy doing the ministry to minister, to get so busy that you don't minister to Jesus. Amen. Number six, the penalty for loss of love is severe removal of the lampstand. God forbid that we ever become so focused on working for God that we don't love the God we are working for. Clearly, having a great past doesn't mean you necessarily have a great future. By today's standards, Ephesus would have been the church on the church growth magazines. Hey, they got the largest church, and then they're sending out, they got, they're sending out missionaries. Every church growth conference would have wanted to have Ephesus Every, every person would have wanted to have Ephesus be their church. But Jesus was saying they had already fallen, even though everybody else was still praising them because of all the good works that they were doing. Having a great past doesn't mean you have a great future. Number seven, Jesus commended them for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which he also hated. Now, I'm not going to deal with the Nicolaitans today because he's got another thing to say about them in one of the other chapters. But we're going to dig into them. Because if it's something Jesus hate, I want to understand why he hated who they are. Because <laughs> if he hate them, clearly there's some fire and brimstone associated with them. So I want to find out who they are. And then I want to step to the right. 
a step to the left, because I don't want to ever be where they are. All right. So we're going to spend some time dealing with them. The key thing we want to understand is that even in the dispensation of grace that we live in, there are things that Jesus hates and things that he judges. Now, I know everybody's telling us today that love is love and it doesn't matter. And, and then you tell people that Jesus hates them. They call it hate speech. I'm sorry. Either I'm going to go with him or what you, what you say, and I, I choose to go with what he say. All right. I'm not coming for you, but I'm not going to step aside of you either if it comes between me and Jesus. Good. All right. And then number eight, um, overcomers get to eat of the tree of, of life in heaven's garden of Eden, which is called paradise. Uh, paradise. Heaven is a city. It's called the New Jerusalem. But this scripture tells us that, that there's a city park called Paradise. Yeah, there's a city park. You know, um, my wife and I traveled to New York City, and she wanted us to go on top of the Empire State Building, the top of the Rockefeller. I said, it's the same view. Why we got to climb? Why we got to get in another long line? To go to the same. <laughs> it all looked the same to me, but she wanted to see it from. Okay, sweetie. I mean, I, I mean, for real, for real. Anyway, you get to the top of one of them and you can look out and you can see in the middle of the city, there's a park, Central Park. This scripture tells us, of course, the New Jerusalem is a city. But in it, there is a park called paradise and in that park the tree of life is there and you can eat it and live forever that's what he told us all right so i want to overcome i want all of the benefits that go with being an overcomer all right so remember what we're overcoming we're we're, we're continuing the things that he commended us for we're, we want to be a church that does the work of god but we don't want that work to be a substitute for our love of him and we're going to work on keeping our fire burning, the fire of our love for Jesus burning. All right. All right. Did, did y'all get everything out of the see? That's enough out of the first church already, isn't it? That's a good thing for us to understand. Now, let's look at um, we got one more church to go through um, for tonight. And that's the church of Smyrna. We're going to read Revelation chapter two, um, verses eight through eleven. All right, so let's read this one. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation. That's something he didn't say about the other church. He didn't talk about their tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things what you are about to suffer. He didn't say they weren't about to suffer. He said, don't fear it. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. 
he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. All right. So eight keys to the church at Smyrna. Let's look at our list on this one. Number one, Jesus is revealing himself as the first and the last, the one who was dead but came to life. In other words, he has the first and the last say on everything that happens. Even if you kill the Christian, he says, I have the resurrection trump card. Even if you kill him, I can still raise him from the dead. All right. That's number one. Number two, Jesus dealt with the fact that Smyrna was a church that existed in the midst of persecution. All right. The word there for persecution, he talked about tribulation. Tribulation was the word that you see in scripture. I know your words and your tribulation. The word philipsis, which talked about tribulation, described a thing where um, it was a form of torture and punishment in the Roman Empire where they would take a person, um, tie him up with a rope, lay him down, and then put a heavy boulder on top of them until it crushed all their bones. That's the word that is described as tribulation. All right. It later on began to just mean a tough, intense situation where you feel constant pressure that you can't get away from. So they were having church in a very, very difficult time in a very difficult region. And people were literally coming for them all the time. All right. Number three. This perspective. This persecution didn't allow them to pursue prosperity. However, from Jesus' perspective, they were rich in faith. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Now, this wasn't. There, there are two words that, are, that talk about being poor. There's one word that talks about the working poor. You know what I mean when I say working poor? People, they know how to live. They got enough to make it, but they will never, they never going to have extra, but they can survive. This word is talking about people at abject poverty, but it wasn't a poverty because they were lazy or anything like that. It was a poverty because their stuff was being stolen systematically. Their poverty was due to their trip to due to their tribulation. In other words, people were coming for them. And then because they wouldn't. They wouldn't bow down to the idol gods and do all of those things. The, the unions that they were a part of, each union had its own God. If you were in the idol makers union and you work with you know, silver and gold, then you had a certain God you worship and this one had a certain God they worship. And then when you became a Christian, you let all of that stuff go. And then they were like, well, you, you know, you can't be, you can't, you can't be in our union no more. Cause at the beginning of our union meeting, we're going to worship our God. When I was studying this, I thought about the fact that in my job for general motors, I um, 
I have a lab. Yeah, I got a lab. I do. I got a lab. Yeah, I roll like that. And I got engineers that work for me here. And so what I was responsible for was putting labs like I have here, put one in China, in uh, India, in Korea, in Brazil, and one is in, in Mexico, okay? And so people came here to my lab here, and then I trained them, and then I sent them back. For the one in India, we built the equipment for them, like I have in my lab here, for them there. But because the electrical system is different, right? It's 220 versus 440, right? Um, the electrical system, they had to get a special electrical outfit to go there. So we had, we had our supplier build it here and then send it to the lab that we were starting over there. So then when it got built and finished, there was a, um, an inauguration, a kickoff ceremony. I was supposed to go, but for some reason, the Lord didn't let me go and send one of my guys. Now, the guy that went, even though it was a work situation, they had a religious ceremony with incense and flowers and prayers to some deity. It certainly wasn't to Jesus of Nazareth, son of the living God, the bright and morning star, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. All right. And I'm asking myself, you know, pictures. I was going to put it up, but I didn't want to necessarily put that out, you know. But I got pictures where they, they're having a service. And praying for this equipment to be successful. Listen, I'm praying for it to be successful too, but I'm praying to Jesus. And I'm saying, Lord, what would have... Okay, now I got to start asking hard questions. What, what's going to happen when I go to places like that and then they... they my guy, I'm telling you, <laughs> I got pictures of him stretching his hands out and praying in whatever prayer he did versus whatever they did. I also, let me tell you another story, because I want you to understand, like, this is real situations, y'all. This is not, and this is not something that's happened thousands of years ago. These are real issues that people face, particularly if you do business internationally. Now, don't think that when we have secret societies and all these things here that people aren't doing some form of this in America. Stop that. So um, the other thing is I have a, I, I preached the gospel at the GM, the, the, the church, Christian church that was at the work in Korea. And the company um, in Korea before GM bought it was a, was a, was a, automaker named um, Daewoo, and then GM bought that automaker. Before that automaker failed, when they started a new product, they had an image, this is, this, is what a, this is what a Korean Christian told me, they had an image of a pig that they prayed to that their vehicle would be successful. Well, obviously it didn't work, that's why GM bought them out. 
<laughs> Pastor, why are you telling me this? Because this is not this is not something that's happening a long time ago. What happens when you don't go along with this and then somebody decides that you're not part of the business team and then they start trying to cut your business from you? That's what they faced. All right. Sometimes we get persecuted because we just didn't do right. That's not their situation. They were still good workers. They were still good business people, but they were not going to violate their God to do business. OK, and 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 listen, Jesus calls a person who is not willing to violate their God for business. He calls that person rich. It is better to be rich with God, even at financial costs, than to win the world and lose your soul. All right. So their wealth was confiscated because they wouldn't bow down to other gods, to foreign gods. They wouldn't go out because that was part of the business culture. Um, and even though your pastor is a prosperity preacher, I'm not I'm not for prosperity that goes against God. OK. Right now, I believe just like the church at Ephesus, that if you have money and people are giving, then you can do ministry. All right. So I'm not ashamed of money. Right. All of the money that that God gave me, I earned it. I didn't steal it from nobody. I'm not cheating nobody. I'm not cheating the church. I'm not doing nothing wrong. I'm working hard. I studied principles in the Bible that taught me about being diligent, that diligent hands shall bear, bear rule and diligence makes one rich and the blessing of the Lord prosper you. But listen, if it gets to the point in our society where I got to choose between making money and staying with Jesus, I'm going to stick with Jesus like Smyrna did. Okay. That's all God's asking for. All right. Not everybody, not every church had the same thing, but this church was in the middle of a thing and he didn't say it's not going to happen. He said, you need to be faithful all the way to death and you don't, you don't let them people scare you. Because people, when they feel like they got you financially, they will try to scare you. What, what, did, what did Nebuchadnezzar say to the three Hebrew boys? Y'all must not have heard my music the first time, so I'm going to give you another chance. And your God is not going to keep you from my hand. So he, the, the devil tries to scare you into compromising your standards, all right? And we can't let the devil compromise, get us to compromise, even when it costs us. We have to be people that stand for Jesus even when it costs. All right, um, that was number three. Number four says, because of the likes of the Apostle Paul and others, the Jewish community were often suspect of Christians and stirred up persecution against them. What they, what they did was they said, okay, they considered Christians 
a a cult offshoot of Judaism. And when that offshoot got more popular than they did, then they got jealous and upset. And so they stirred up persecution against them because they didn't like their popularity and also to keep keep persecution off of them. And then whatever they lost, they could take it. I remember when I was a young man, I was just meditating over this when I was studying and I, the Lord reminded me of a thing that happened to me when I was a young man, when I was in junior high school. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was dark skinned and I was nerdy. So people made fun of me all the time. And um, there was this one this one young lady, um, she was she was pretty large. She was heavy set, and uh, later on, I realized she would she would make fun of me to keep people from making fun of her. Yeah, it it was a deflection strategy. So she would say something, and everybody else would pile up on me. And since they had piled up on me, nobody messed with her. That's what was happening here to these Christians. If all, everybody hating on the Christians, then nobody was messing with the other Jews. And they just piled up on them, okay? So remember, even when, even when Jesus was being persecuted, Herod and Pilate, who were enemies, became friends to persecute Jesus. People that hate each other will join together to hate on you. All right. That was number four. Number five, the church must never lose its ability to suffer persecution for the cause of Christ, even to the death. All right. We must never lose our ability to suffer for Christ. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to beam you up and the persecution's going to stop. He didn't say that. He told them, you don't, he didn't say you don't have to suffer. He says, do not fear what you shall suffer. In fact, they had already been suffering and he was telling them it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I still don't want you to, I don't want you to shrink back from it. Now, your pastor is a prosperity and a deliverance preacher. I believe in the church prospering. I believe in believers being excellent and leading. I believe in us making money because money is to be made. I don't believe in people stealing. I don't believe in people cheating. I don't believe in people doing stuff wrong. But I believe in people being right and prospering through godliness. And I have promises in scripture that support me prospering through godliness. But just as much as I have scripture that says that I can prosper through godliness, I also have scripture that says those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's the same Bible. And I can't take one set of promises and then throw out the other set of promises because they're inconvenient. Now, I'm asking God to deliver me until he say he don't want to. <laughs> okay? But he may, it may come a time. There are Christians all over the world who are suffering for their faith. 
I believe that some of the videos that we send out that people in places where they can't read Bibles openly are going to see our videos. And this is going to be an encouragement for them. All right. Now, pastors believing for the day, you know, I, I intend just so we all know your pastor believe in having armed guards and everything. Somebody come in here pulling something. I want to have something to pull on them, too. I told him I'll, I'll shoot him and tell Jesus that I killed him. Jesus, they dead. And why are they dying? Now, I'm not going out to shoot nobody. But if you come in to get me, I want to get you before you get me. Does that make sense? All right. Now, while they're dying, I'm going to be right there next to him and say, OK, I don't want you to go to hell. So I'm going to pray with you while you're dying and ask Jesus to bring you in. I'm just saying. OK, but. I have to deal with the fact that Jesus, it may be the will of God that the church in our nation, like the church in other countries, goes through persecution. If you look at how the laws are starting to line up, people are upset. If you say the wrong thing about the wrong thing, you can't say it can't happen here. Remember in Charleston, South Carolina, I do goes to a uh, um, a Wednesday night service of an African American Episcopal church after having church with him kills everybody in there they arrest him take him to Burger King because he need a Whopper right that's what they did I'm, this, is, this, is, this is all news this is, I'm not, this is not me making it up they, 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 they felt like he had to be fed before he could be in prison. He couldn't have the prison food. So we can't say that persecution like this can't come to our country. Right. Um, do not fear what you will suffer, even more things than you already suffered. We have to distinguish between suffering persecution. I'm still on. I'm still on number five. We have to distinguish between suffering persecution from suffering sickness and disease, from people just hurting our feelings. Most, most things that people in church call persecution is just people getting their feelings hurt. These soft American Christians. So they leave church because of what they call hashtag church hurt. When these people had hashtag hurt church. Yeah, these people were really hurting. And it wasn't because somebody talked about them and made them feel bad. They were killing them. They were taking their goods. It was it wasn't unlawful seizure. It was lawful. And they were seizing their goods from them. And they had the whole Roman Empire behind them when they did it. They were taking them into pub into coliseums and having lions eat them for sport. That was their entertainment. That's what Jesus was describing to them, all right? So, listen, um, sometimes people call suffering in the Bible just sickness and disease. And listen, I'm not saying Christians don't get sick, but that's not the same suffering he's talking about here. He's talking persecution where people are actively hunting for your life and your welfare 
and your health and your economics. That's persecution. Most American style suffering at the church level is not really suffering yet, okay? So, so I'm just saying that so we don't be soft. We resist sickness and disease. We remain faithful during persecution, even to death, and we get over hurt feelings. All right? Number six, there won't be a storm always. He told him to be faithful unto death. He said, but there's an end date to this. Your storm has an expiration date. Now, he told him in this passage of scripture that uh, you will suffer, you will have tribulation 10 days. 10 days was not 10 literal days. It wasn't like a week and a half. All right. Pastor David, why do you know that? Because they suffered more than a week and a half in Smyrna. There were 10 periods of suffering based on 10 different emperors. Each emperor had their day, all right? But then it ended, and then that, that, that era for that church had passed. Um, so we want to understand that even when you go through a storm, believe, listen to God, okay, God, this won't be forever. Then hang on to that word until you get through it. All right. As as Christians of African-American descent, we know that enslaved churches, they believed that God was coming for them. And he, he sent word telling them. Go back and study black history. I studied at University of Michigan 30 years before Civil War. Prophetic words was coming to slave churches that God was coming to deliver them. They, 30 years, 30 years. They kept preaching it in their churches. And then the Civil War happened and then Reconstruction. So so God told them that this was coming to an end. Right. That's number six. Number seven, Jesus promised the crown of life. There is a specific crown given to those who die as martyrs for the faith. That's different than I was sick and I died. And there's none. Listen, there's nothing bad. I didn't say you did something wrong, but you don't get the crown that a person gets who dies. That's just like a person in the military who dies on the battlefield. Right. They get special, a special uh, recognition because they died in battle. That's what Jesus is telling you. If a person dies in battle for the name of Jesus, they have a special reward. Not everybody's signing up for that one, but it's still there. Okay, so he said he told them to be faithful in persecution to death and he would give them this special martyr's crown, the crown of life. Number eight, Jesus further, Jesus committed that while the first death may be painful, he would ensure that they would not be hurt in the second death. And remember, I've taught you this before. You were born and when you got saved, you were born again. So you are born twice. If you're born twice, you can only die once. But if you're only born once, you will die twice. And what he's saying is the second death that happens when you are eternally separated from God and, and experience the, the punishment of the lake of fire is even worse than the first death. That's why we are standing 
saying, even if I have to face death, I, I, I want I want to stay with Jesus because I don't want I want to I want to be delivered as an overcomer from the second death. Somebody say amen. amen. 